Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And this week, we're going to be talking business security risk assessment. I'm joined by Tom Desat, the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Digital Defense, a cybersecurity firm headquartered in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, so, Tom, you were one of our first guests on the program. And then for listeners, if you don't know what a drop test is, go back and listen to the first time we had Tom on the program. We're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about some business security risk assessment. Maybe that will come up as one of the things you should be testing your risk for uh, on the program. But thanks for coming back, Tom. No problem. Glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, I guess when you were on the, the program back in 2016, um, the world's changed a little bit. When we were, we called it CyberTalk Radio back then, we were debating, should we call it CyberTalk Radio? Are people going to know what cybersecurity is? And now here we are in, in 2019. And if you haven't heard the word cybersecurity, you've basically been unplugged from all news outlets and everything over the last three years. Exactly. So what's uh, what's new with uh, digital defense over the last few years? Well, I mean, the, the thing that we're most excited about right now is our new active threat service uh, that uh, we just rolled out. Uh, and it's really meant to help organizations ensure that their endpoints are protected. Uh, it ensures that their AV's up to date. Uh, it's agentless, so it's not another agent that they've got to load on their box, which nobody wants to do anymore. Uh, it also looks for active threats uh, while it's sweeping your network. So it's doing a multitude of things for you. It's not your typical AV scan or anything of that nature. Yeah, the, the way I think I, I describe these these services to folks is uh, imagine that you um, have a VIP that's going to go stay at a, a hotel or a vacation property, and you send this advanced team in, and they go through, and they – sweep the environment for bugs and bombs and all those things, and, and then they'll come in and give a clean bill of health. It sounds like your your system there will go through, check all the computer network, and sign off that all these things are clean and, and free so that you can then pass that valuable information around your business network without the worry that someone's in there doing bad things with it. Exactly. That's a, that's a really good analogy. Now, as we look at this changing landscape as well, um, the, the good news, I guess, from uh, my perspective where we are here in 2019 and the bad news on this is the price of Bitcoin is still doing pretty well. Um, it, it, so back in the uh, 2015, 2016, when Tom was first on the, the program, uh, Bitcoin had not yet done its big run up to 20,000. I think it's at 4,000 or something right now, but it, it still makes it uh, more efficient for these criminals to, uh, in many cases, for small businesses. Now, they're instead of getting a ransom pop-up on your computer, uh, by the way, the bad guys are just installing coin mining software on your computer. So they're effectively turning your computers into um, mining equipment for them. Uh, mm -hmm. So this, I say, the bad news is... Uh, the good news is you're not getting interrupted during your business day with a pop-up for, hey, I needed to give me cryptocurrency to get back in your computer. The bad news is without like an active threat sweeping system, you won't necessarily know that that coin mining software is sitting on your computer. Uh, have you guys have as you guys have been rolling this stuff out? Are you noticing some of that where folks are discovering that they've actually been compromised for a substantial period of time, and and the hackers aren't doing anything? sort of directly ma malicious exfiltrating data because they don't actually want to get caught. They just want to use your electricity and your graphics cards to, to make themselves money by mining that cryptocurrency. Uh, fortunately, no. We haven't seen a big uptick in that. Uh, what we are finding, though, is uh, that companies are thinking that they've got AV software rolled out to their entire enterprise, uh, especially in the large enterprise. Yeah. Uh, and they're starting to find that, well, perhaps 
something was missed and uh, they need to go back and reinstall. Yeah, the the backup software coverage and AV coverage, we yeah, I would see that it's not necessarily made it out there to the the levels uh, that folks think they have it rolled out at. Exactly. Uh, and it, it's a it's a tricky one, especially as you get the the larger businesses on even just knowing all the endpoints that are on your network. Exactly, and that you know that's one of the things that the sweeping software does is it, it kind of illuminates for organizations. Uh, where they've got holes, uh, where they have deficiencies in their AV or in some of their threat software that they might have put out there. Uh, and it just makes it easier for them to, to get a handle on it. Yeah. So uh, as you you look at this upfront assessment, so you can go through and, and you can do um, some of the things is we used to do these type of things. If I rewind back in my career to when we would do um, security risk assessment, we would do penetration testing. You still do penetration testing mm -hmm. today, but your software, it sounds like is doing many of the manual things we used to try to go through on a, a security risk assessment where we would go out with a team of engineers, plug into a network and start trying to document stuff. Exactly. And it, it makes it easier not only for the enterprise because they don't have, you know, full-time equivalents actually having to sit and babysit someone while they're doing that. Uh, and it just makes it easier overall for everybody. Yeah. So, um, and for listeners that haven't thought about an active um, protection solution, an auditing solution like this yet, what does it look like to roll uh, one of these out? Uh, it's very simple since it's agentless. Uh, there's really nothing more than putting one of our appliances on your network, uh, and that enables the sweeps to occur. Uh, but you know that's the big thing that we keep hearing back from enterprises. Please don't give me another agent. I've already got enough agents. I've got my AV software got active threat software, everything else, and it's just bogging the machines down. And we're hearing from from clients that, you know, I can't even use my machine. It's so slow because I have so many agents running on it. Yeah, it's the long-running battle of uh, making things safe versus allowing folks to be productive. Uh, exactly. And, yeah, and depending on the level of regulation inside your environment, uh, you may have to err on the side of making things safe that then makes, as an, as an IT team, it makes all of your users and all the other departments of the company pretty grumpy. Um, it, it, some stuff is out of your hands unless you can figure out ways to get more of the requirements into agentless solutions versus agent-based. Exactly. You know, we see that a lot in the FI space, which is so heavily regulated. Uh, also see it in the healthcare industry where they've got HIPAA and high tech that they've got to be uh, responsible for dealing with. Uh, it's there's just a lot for them to deal with on an ongoing basis. Yeah, and the the healthcare side of stuff is you bring those folks up. So I the financial services it it feels like they've been getting pounded um, with just continued um, attacks, uh, data breaches, and 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 whatnot so that many of the bigger financial services are i think the top spenders on cybersecurity at this point i mean i've, I've heard that uh goldman sachs is uh well into the mid nine figures for their cybersecurity budget mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but as you, you look in the healthcare space i'm not seeing the same level of spending in healthcare even though we're seeing breaches like anthem and some of the other um large insurers are getting hit uh, what are you guys seeing from from out there? Uh, we're we're seeing a lot of the same things that uh, healthcare organizations they really want to be on top of information security, but many of them are limited by budgets. I mean, I think it's no secret the in the industry that 
hospitals and healthcare organizations run on a pretty tight margin, and so they don't have a lot of extra dollars to spend. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Is like as there as consumers out there, everyone's always trying to to push healthcare to get uh, lower prices, lower costs. So like, as you said, the hospitals are getting squeezed. The insurers feel like they're getting squeezed. Everyone in the healthcare industry feels like they're getting pushed to, to do things more affordably all the time. Um, but at the same time, like if you ask me as a cybersecurity expert and consumer here, I'm much more worried about my healthcare provider's security than I am about my bank security, oddly enough. I mean, the, the bank piece, like it's credit card numbers can get recycled. You can cancel them and wipe them out. Your checking account, you can keep money in different accounts. They've got some basic controls in place. You can separate stuff out enough to where you're probably not getting all of your financial resources stolen in one swipe, um, ideally, if you do just some basic planning with your bank at this point. Um, and you can separate money out into different investment accounts from your, your checking account and those sorts of things on the consumer side. But with your medical record, if it gets stolen once, like I can't unsteal my medical record. You exactly. Can't, yeah, it's like it is, it's it's because the medical record for listeners out there, um, the Tom and uh, guys like Tom and I think about stuff. Credit card numbers are valuable, but they're disposable. Um, passwords valuable, but disposable. Your medical record is full of facts. And facts can't get changed. Like so, this is like you'll hear us talk about, and, and uh, maybe as we go through some of these pieces. But like these challenge and response questions to reset a password that ask for things like your birth date or your social security number, and that might as well be a fact because it's really difficult to go change your social security number. Um, it's not exactly a fact, but it's much harder to change than swapping a credit card number out. And if you you use facts to control security once bad people have those facts you can't go change them and that security method is now gone so you'll, you'll have seen if uh, out there on social media some of these silly games you play that like ask you about like what hype like what was the mascot at your high school as you're clicking little pictures and other things like they're trying to get answers to these security questions you think that it might just be um, an in innocent fun survey um, but in a lot of these things, and they'll hide these type of questions inside these IQ tests or these personality tests yep. where they're looking to, to gather uh, questions that are being used by banks or healthcare providers to bypass the authentication on your account. Right. And, you know, you, you kind of touched on something about the, the healthcare information and not being able to get it back. I was at a, a seminar one time where it was a doctor that was actually giving the, the talk on security, uh, if you can believe it. And one of the examples that he brought up, and it stayed with me till today, uh, is that uh, imagine someone steals your records and it's got in there that you were taking Thorazine. Well, Thorazine is a very heavy anti-psychotic uh, drug, but it also has another use. It's also used for persistent hiccups. So if you have hiccups that won't go away, they give you Thorazine to get it under control because it's in your autonomic nerve system. Interesting. Exactly. And so it, you know, it, it really hit home for me that once that's out there and somebody says, oh, well, you know, did you know that XYZ was taking Thorazine? It, you know, kind of lends itself to, well, what else is wrong with this person? Yeah. 
So you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is CyberTalk Radio, and we're talking business security risk and uh, just going through uh, a, some interesting conversation here. I'm joined this week by Tom Desat from Digital Defense. If you uh, just turned your radio on right now, you can listen to uh, this episode in full and uh, all of our past episodes uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Uh, this broadcast will go up on Tuesday April the 2nd, when we, we had Tom on the, the program a, a few years back, uh, we uh, ran through some fun scenarios uh, where uh, Tom will talk about sneaking into an elevator in an office building and just finding out how much you can go uh, uh, ransack and grab things without anyone noticing if you just look respectable. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's a, a fun one. So, yeah, you think that uh, the hackers come in over the Internet, but depending on the, the level of a target you are and what your profile is, uh, they they may also look to bypass your physical security, or, or they may bribe an employee or blackmail an employee, um, again, with those medical record things, as you were just mentioned about the Thorazine. That's a, I like that example a whole bunch because of the, the double um, use of it. But, I mean, there's yeah, for lots of folks, there's things, I'm sure, in medical records that you would prefer to keep confidential and uh yeah since it's facts you can't go back and, and undo them yeah. um so i as uh, you guys are are working more with the proactive defense and you guys have always had proactive auditing and scanning tools and assessment tools and assessment capabilities as a firm but um i'm sure you you still get called on the phone after people have been hit with a cyber attack so for for businesses hit with a, a cyber attack uh, what kind of steps do you walk through to, to triage and and like what what are you seeing from an impact perspective on folks uh, here as we're in 2019 with the sophistication level of the attackers out there now? Uh, the the attackers are definitely getting much more sophisticated. Uh, we're seeing attacks both in small, mid-sized, and large organizations, and uh, they're using tactics uh, that uh, are fairly new. Uh, they're also using some of the the tried and true tactics that, that get them in the door, uh, so to speak. You know, you touched earlier on the the USB drops and things like that. That's still being used, still out there, uh, and people uh, are always trying to stay on top of the latest threat, but they forget that the old threats are still out there. Yeah, yeah, such as uh, phishing uh, emails. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, what we're seeing a big uptick in that we're getting calls from our clients on our, our whaling attacks where you've got emails going into the CEO or the CFO uh, asking them to m make transfers and things of that nature. And it's a lot of times people just simply don't know how to respond to those. Yeah. Uh, they'll email it into us, which we obviously don't want. We don't want that email coming into us necessarily. Um, and asking, how do I handle this? And so it, it becomes a real challenge for them at times. And they, they simply are just reaching, uh, looking for someone to, to lend them a hand on how they get a grasp of it. Yeah. And from, uh, it, out there listeners is, uh, this whaling attack. This is where, um, people will, uh, impersonate CEO, CFO, um, director of finance and send a message into, your accounts payable department or into someone that they believe can authorize a funds transfer. And 
if these these hackers will be able to gather some of this information, like, I mean, you're going to list your CEO up on your website. You're going to often your accounts payable people in the teams, they're, they're going to have um, either pictures in your website. They're going to have a LinkedIn profile. They're going to list on Facebook. And you, you need to and want to allow folks to be able to, to publish this stuff out these days. Um, it's hard to keep information inside of a box. And then there's a bunch of data aggregators out there that um, gather and collect this information and sell it legally here in America. It's a little bit more complicated maybe over in Europe now to sell some of this information, but they're still out there doing it. Um, I, I have not seen a GDPR thing yet against any of the big data brokers. No. Uh, no. So, and if, and and you get different levels of sophistication in these whaling attacks as well, where they might just pretend and like kind of guess and then the second level of sophistication is imagine now that as your executive team emails a whole bunch of different people all the time they're it, um, i'm sure just like myself and tom we use email to communicate if someone that we email with on a regular basis if their email account gets hacked and compromised now that attacker knows what my email signature looks like. They know what type of words I use in an email. They know how long I send emails. They know what time, at least frequency and time of day, I send emails to that specific target. And now they can make that spoofed email coming from me to my accounts payable team look very, very, very realistic. Right. And, you know, it, it amazes me sometimes when I look at, at some of the examples that we get sent in on how legitimate they actually do look. Uh, I mean, they look as though they're coming from the CEO or the CFO. The question that we get a lot is, you know, if we don't publish our CEOs and our CFOs email address, how, do, how does someone figure that out? Well, it really doesn't have to, to go any further than doing a little bit of reconnaissance on the organization, determining how their email accounts are structured, and then shooting off a few to see if you get any bounces and then if you don't get a bounce, you know that you've got a hit. Yeah. Yeah. My email is bret at jungledisc.com. I'll say it on the radio. You can't hide your email address from folks. So, like, security through obscurity is uh, not good in, in that kind of case. Exactly. Like you're, you're, it just doesn't work. No. And so, yeah, they're going to figure that email address out. And with the way domain names work, uh, you can use um, alternate characters. So they can even make it look very much like the, the actual domain name. Um, in just regular English ASCII characters, the ones that we normally type and we see, mm -hmm. um, but it's not very hard to go change to a Unicode character, and instead of the I in Jungle Disk being an I with a straight dot, it's an I with a little slash dot now. And so even if you're clicking to look at the email address details, unless you really, really look closely, you may see, you, you may not notice that it's, a spoofed email address that it's not actually coming from me. Exactly. And, you know, the other thing that we see is that depending upon the font that you're using, uh, your ones may look like L's yeah. uh, very easily. Uh, and other numbers, you know, take on different appearances and things of that nature, depending upon the font that you're using. Yeah. And so we see that a lot as well, uh, that they are doing whatever they can do to make it look as legitimate as possible. Uh, just like when they're going out and they're putting up spoofed websites, uh, they're pulling down graphics, uh, they're pulling down uh, names that, that you would say, well, how would they even get this name? Uh, they've done their reconnaissance. They know what they're doing, uh, especially the very sophisticated ones. Uh, and it's, it's just much easier than most people would think. 
Yeah, there was uh, last year around this time with the the March Madness campaign, uh, ESPN got hit with a, a acrylic spoofed E in ESPN, and they were um, the criminals out there were running ads on a number of social networks. They'd gotten them out there and in just general display networks on the internet of like enter the ESPN Million Dollar March Madness Challenge. It wasn't really ESPN's website you were going to, and they were using this. You didn't even have to fill anything out on the website. They were using exploits in the browsers to, as soon as you went to that site, they were putting a drive-by download onto your system. So just hitting the website uh, was compromising a ton of people's computers last year because um, ESPN does a legitimate March Madness Million Dollar Challenge for the bracket every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Warren Buffett still offers, I think I think he, he, maybe he does it through ESPN, I'm not sure, but if you, you pick a perfect bracket, he's going to pay some money for it as well, but he knows the odds of uh, picking a perfect bracket are uh, pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Warren's not one to give his money away, well, unless it's specifically to charity, but yeah, he doesn't make losing bets very often on things. No. Not at all. So with, with uh, these kind of imposter hijacking attacks, uh, are are you guys seeing stuff as well with um, all of these these phone banks uh, with folks either making call center phone attacks or text message attacks uh, to try to to get into to people's businesses as well? We we haven't seen so many of the call center attacks, but we are seeing a lot of the texting attacks. Uh, we're also seeing a lot seeing a lot of brand hijacking. Uh, where people are, are actually hijacking brands and then using text messages to say, you know, you need to go in and reset your password for home banking because uh, it's been compromised. And the site that they've set up obviously looks very legitimate. Uh, it's not that hard to do anymore. Uh, and uh, they, they contact us wanting to know what can we do. And so we'll walk them through the the variety of things that they can do to protect their users. You know, it, it really all comes down to training, uh, training your staff, knowing what to look for. And that's where a lot of organizations still have challenges is training their staff and making sure that they understand what to look out for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I received one of those um, that about my credit card this last week. Um, and I get them texted to me on a fairly regular basis, and and half more than half the time, it's a bank I don't have an account with, and then mm-hmm. you you know pretty quickly. Uh, but by the way, your your bank is not going to uh, well if, if if your bank you are set up to receive text messages from your bank, just go to the bank website and t- directly in the address bar. Don't click on a link from the text message sent to you by your bank. Um, and if you have the app for your bank installed on your phone, um, go into that app directly is, is the probably the safest way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that, that app won't authenticate. Um, and even if your browser and your computer was hijacked, if you go to the website, you could have some problems. But the odds that you get kind of a man-in-the-middle attack with the, the app installed on your, your phone is, is the lowest, I think, attack surface I could think about of a way to communicate with my bank. There, there's also been talk about uh, banks stopping uh, the use of SMS uh, as two-factor authentication, uh, that you have to use their app yeah. uh, to gain access to the, the home banking site itself. Yeah, I know. For, for my business banking side of stuff, I still get a physical token. Right, um, and, exactly. and even for your for many of the consumer banks now in your consumer accounts, if you really are um, ultra-secure and concerned, uh, you can get a physical token as well, even for many of the consumer banks out there these days. Exactly. Uh, 
So we're uh, about to take a a break here at the uh, bottom of the hour for a news traffic and weather update. Uh, You're listening to 1200 News Radio. This is uh, CyberTalk Radio, and I'm joined this week uh, by Tom DeSott. We're talking business security risk. Uh, We've hit on a number of uh, interesting uh, topics through the first half of the program. Uh, The back half of the program, we'll we'll go through and uh, hit maybe the kind of top questions that we haven't covered yet that folks should be thinking about from a risk perspective in 2019, give a, a little bit of a predictions on where we see things headed from here uh, as the the landscape continues to evolve and businesses uh, become more internet dependent and uh, more uh, cloud-based than ever. If you are not going to be able to stick with us through that bottom of the hour break, uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, April the 2nd. Uh, All of our past episodes are up there and they're also... uh, on YouTube, uh, iTunes, and all the other podcasting services out there all across the internet. If uh, you have a favorite podcasting service where you cannot find our program, uh, please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know. We will add the CyberTalk Radio archives to that podcasting service, and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt for discovering uh, yet another podcast service uh, for us. So uh, with that, we're going to head into break, and we will be back uh, in just a few minutes. back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Tom DeSott from Digital Defense, and we're uh, talking all sorts of things about business security risk. Uh, If you uh, just hopped in your car now, uh, you've missed the first half of the program, but you can listen to the rebroadcast of it uh, on our website or on any of your favorite podcasting services out there. It'll go up on Tuesday, April the 2nd. If you are listening to us via one of those podcasting services or you're watching the still image of Tom and I on YouTube, well, thank you very much for subscribing. Uh, Let us know uh, out there on Facebook or Twitter uh, what we're talking about. If you enjoy what else you would like to hear from the program, Uh, we're uh, active on both and uh, we'll enjoy your feedback. If you do have a podcasting service that you use where you cannot find CyberTalk Radio and you like free t-shirts, let us know uh, the podcasting service where we are not listed. We will fix that and we will get you that CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. Even a if you live anywhere in the world and you uh, maybe you're on the iHeartMedia streaming app right now for 1200WAI, uh, but you want to be able to listen to us on podcasting as well, uh, you can do that. Yeah, and if you are going to hop out of your car and you want to continue listening to the program, uh, the iHeartMedia app on your Android or iOS device uh, will let you uh, tune in to 1200WAI and continue to listen to the program as well as all the rest of the iHeartMedia stations. So it's a great way to do uh, radio out there because I, I have an AM radio at the house still, but I don't think that uh, most of uh, the millennial generation probably does not own an AM radio. I would probably tend to agree with you. Yeah. So, but you have an AM radio. Like this this smartphone, we call it a phone, but that's the, the last of the things that most, especially millennial generations, do with these devices. Uh, it's all uh, text messaging, except if your, your bank is texting you things, as we were saying in the first half of the program, you may not want to believe it. Uh, there's lots of texting attacks going on out there uh, these days. Tom, as we were chatting uh, during that bottom of the hour break, uh, I'd asked if you guys at, at Digital Defense had any jobs open right now. You said you're just hiring interns. And uh, this is one that I, I run into all the time uh, out there from a, an economic development side of things, from uh, talking with other uh, leaders in business. 
Uh, and I think you, you guys at Digital do a, a great job uh, building a, a talent pipeline and building a, a workforce and thinking about this stuff and planning ahead, which is why um, you you don't have any job openings, even though you need to hire cybersecurity people, which nationwide is, is one of the most challenging uh, things to go out there uh, and, and find and hire. I think most uh, companies have openings that have been open for months and they don't even get qualified candidates in. Uh, can you share a little bit with uh, our audience? You're going to tell your secret in a way a little bit, but it's not really a secret because it's a lot of hard work and most people won't be willing to do the hard work. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, you, you've got to build a pipeline, uh, as you said, of interns and you've got to rotate them through different departments so that they get a very holistic view of the company uh, and then uh, basically train them up on the way that you do things. Uh, and through that, create your pipeline that you can pull from when you do have full-time openings come up, that you actually have somebody that already knows the ways that you do things and your preferences and things of that nature. And it, it just makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think about like with the the Spurs here in San Antonio and the uh, the Austin Spurs, and we've seen a number of players with the injuries that they've had over the last few years come from the 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 development team up from from Austin down to San Antonio to join the the big team, and they, they've built that bench. They've trained folks in the way that their organization works, and it's allowed them to to go be successful. You can do this the same thing in in business there where you're bringing interns in you're bringing folks that are not ready to be on your a team today but mm -hmm. you're getting them set up to that when there is an opening on the a team you're not starting from ground zero exactly i mean it's it's really hard to find people that have the experience set that we need uh obviously but when you've got someone that's been with you for a year or more and they've they've rotated through all the different departments it's very easy to place them within your team somewhere yeah so for the Folks out there listening going, yeah, so Tom, I want to figure out how to get a job in cybersecurity, and I want to do some of this training on my own to try to start getting some skills up and going. Uh, where do you recommend and point folks? Uh, we, we always recommend school. Uh, you've got to have the basic foundation. Uh, a lot of people forget they, they think that they need to have the, these uber hacking skills and things of that nature. But a lot of what we look for are, are basic people skills uh, that you've got to have so that when you're dealing with CEOs and CIOs that you can come across in a professional manner. Uh, writing is another thing. Uh, we see so many people that come in and they, they really want a job and they look good on paper, but when we ask them to write a, a sample report for us on their findings, uh, we'll put up a, a box that will allow them to, to show us their skill set as far as hacking. Uh, they come to us with a report that that's just full of grammatical errors and things of that nature. So the schooling is, is really, really important. Yeah. I and mean, this is, is one that everyone needs to be well-rounded these days. It's, um, you need the technical skills, uh, but it almost, it's from a business perspective, I almost feel like it's easier to teach folks the technical skills than it is to teach them um, all of the other, the soft skills, the business writing, the professional communication, the uh, problem solving, and, and all of those fundamental things that you can learn um, it through a, a degree program of some sort. Yeah, I mean, you we're even seeing a lot of the universities are implementing programs because I serve on, on several councils. And, you know, they're always asking us, what can we do to make our students better ready to, to be hired by your organization? And it's they're running them through soft skills classes now. And yeah. I, I think that's really great because it's it's needed. 
So, and yeah, I mean, another one is, is figure out how to do things on teams. And I'll to transition our conversation a little bit into uh, for out there, if you're in middle school or high school in the San Antonio area right now, uh, or hopefully even out there, if you're listening nationwide, uh, join a Cyber Patriot team. If your school does not have a Cyber Patriot team, figure out how to talk to your administration to get one started. This is cybersecurity team sports for middle school and high school kids. Uh, and uh, coming up here, uh, the middle of April uh, is going to be the Cyber Patriot National Competition uh, this year. And uh, three of the teams out of the uh, San Antonio area are have qualified for nationals this year. It was awesome. I would like to thank Digital for you know, year, years of uh, continued support, uh, Digital Defense, uh, in that Cyber Patriot program here in San Antonio. Yeah, we, we see a lot of value in the program. Uh, it really gets kids involved in, in uh, what they want uh, which is to get into the cybersecurity field. Uh, it gives them a way to interact with professionals that are already in the field so that they get to ask them questions, uh, get to learn from them, and, and move forward in their career. Yeah, and that key teamwork um, piece. Yeah, and so for, for those wondering, well, the Cyber Patriot, this national finals, how big of a deal is this? There's only uh, 24 teams from the entire country that go to, to nationals. So out of all of the high schools uh, all across the country, three out of the the 24 teams at nationals are coming from San Antonio area high schools, which is uh, amazing. And and it's thanks to to digital and to the Cyber Texas Foundation. We've had uh, Joe Sanchez on the program from Cyber Texas. If you want to learn more about what they're doing there, and uh, and you can, we've had a number of Cyber Patriot coaches and even some of the kids on. So if you were curious to learn uh, more about that, check out our, our program archives on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com or uh, any of your favorite podcasting services out there and and check that out. But I think this is a, a pretty big deal. Um, and with the school district spending, I mean, I think I saw the, the football stadium down in Cadia. I want to say they spent $70 million on that. Um, I'm going to make a, a call out here on the radio. Is How do we get uh, your school districts, please, as parents, uh, start writing your school districts, asking for them to build cyber patriot training facilities. If they can spend $70 million for a football stadium, they could spend $700,000 for an amazing Cyber Patriot setup that would make your high school, um, and you could even share it potentially across the district, could make your district one of the, the more competitive districts out there um, on this and um, get a, a coach. Um, the training Cyber Texas Foundation in the San Antonio area will um, help your schools establish programs there's i feel like there's no excuse not to to have this uh, at this point have a cyber patriot team no there there's really not uh, especially for the the established schools there's really no reason not to have one uh i can remember when we first started uh when cyber patriot was very young uh we had to talk to the administration because they were like well you know why should we invest in something like this why should we allow our kids to to be taking time away from classes and things of that nature to, to participate in this. When we started talking to them about the types of salaries and things of that nature that these kids could make once they went on to college and graduated, uh, it was pretty eye-opening for them and, and uh, went a long way in getting them to invest the time and money that they needed to. Yeah, and this can even, um, at the collegiate level, there's the uh, CCDC, the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, uh, and and so there's a collegiate level of cyber patriot as well. And um, we've had uh, Brent Thessler on from Hallmark and uh, here, which is a university in the San Antonio area. And they're uh, recruiting top cyber patriot kids now and giving them scholarships. So they're putting together just like you would for football. You can get a, a scholarship to 
play cybersecurity on a team at college and get your your college tuition paid for as well. Uh, so, I mean, this is a, a one as a school administration out there. I think you're going to continue to see more schools across the nation at the collegiate level start offering scholarships for uh, CCDC uh, team uh, teams as this begins to to ramp up um, and become more of a, a where team sports are headed. Exactly. I mean, it, it, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It is a team sport. Uh, so not only are they learning the technical skills, but they're learning how to interact on a team, uh, which is important because when they get into the professional world, that's something that they're going to have to do. It's it's usually not the the single analyst sitting in a chair doing the work all by themselves. They've got a team that they're working with uh, to try to get the client everything that the, they need as far as a, a visual of where they stand from a cybersecurity standpoint. Yeah. When an incident is happening, no business wants just one person working to resolve that incident. Exactly. Yeah. They want the, they, it's a uh, one where like uh, from a, the, the analogy of where you can't have um, nine, nine women can't give birth to a baby in a month, but nine people working on an incident response can get the incident handled more quickly than one. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So totally. it, it can be parallelized. Uh, so uh, for the sec- um, security certifications, uh, like as you look at, um, Security Plus um, and uh, Network Plus and like the Cisco security certifications or some of the SAN security certifications. Um, do you guys look at those as hiring requirements? Do you look at that as like, that's nice. I don't have to ask questions about that that area of stuff now because I know they've passed the test. How do you think about these different um, certifications that are out there? Uh, we require them. Uh, the uh, EVP of operations, the gentlemen at our our business that handles the the hacking teams uh that's one of the things that he really looks for is the people that have invested the time and the effort into the certifications and uh people that work on his team need to have at least one certification in order to to be able to do the type of work that we do yeah so it like in um which um, organization other than SANS ones or the CompTIA uh, or it, CompTIA is, is good to start with obviously the Security Plus is good to start with uh, we have people that have the the CEH uh, the people that have been in the industry for a while are usually CISSP certified uh, but then you get into really specialized the GWAPT and the GMOBs and stuff like that where you're testing mobile applications, you're testing websites, and, uh, home banking systems, ERP systems, things of that nature. Yeah. So if, uh, for anyone that wants those acronyms translated, check out our recap. Uh, it'll follow us on Twitter at CyberTalk Radio. Uh, and in our recap for this episode that will go up online on Tuesday, uh, April the 2nd, uh, we'll uh, get all of those uh, defined in there for you, get you links out to the tests. So if you in the the certification sites, so if you wanted to figure out where to go to uh, get some of those for yourself, so you can uh, work your way into the cybersecurity industry, um, that's a, a good way to go do it. We've uh, also, if you're thinking about, you know, I've been in this industry for a while, but I, I haven't really gone and gotten my CISSP. I feel like I want a training program. Uh, we've had the folks from Open Cloud Academy uh, on CyberTalk Radio as well. Uh, they have a CISSP. Uh, security track there at Open Cloud Academy, so you can uh, check their website out or listen to the recap of uh, that conversation to learn more about uh, getting your CISSP. If you are uh, uh, from the military uh, and you've you've got some of those uh, GI Bill dollars and some other programs, uh, you can use those dollars uh, for that CISSP. 
uh, now with Open Cloud Academy, and there's even some matching from some other funds in there. So it can be very affordable to go through and get that training you need um, to get uh, some of those core certifications. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio. I'm joined this week uh, by Tom Desat uh, from Digital Defense, and we've been uh, talking about a number of topics. Uh, I'm going to segue us again here for a, a bit, Tom, and, and go to uh, kind of the, the evolution of the threat landscape. And as you guys open the program, you've got a, a new active, sweeping, agentless uh, software solution to go out there and check uh, people's networks out and make sure that uh, they're with their security posture they think they have actually matches what they 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 really do have out there in production um and i want to talk a little bit about kind of where the world is headed because i i guess we we go and and it used to be that you'd put some firewalls in place you'd put an intrusion detection device in place and you'd have this this perimeter and the, the world would be safe and you could call it a day um but that's not really where we're at now. I think almost every business allows uh, some access for mobile devices um, into either email systems or into web applications inside the company, um, whether that mobile access is via a mobile phone or via a laptop on the go. Uh, maybe it's connected via VPN. Maybe it's not connected via VPN, depending on the business size and how things are set up. Um, maybe there's two-factor authentication. Maybe there's not two-factor um, how are you, you seeing the just that the macro threat landscape uh, change as the kind of productivity and application side of, of IT departments start to, to push requirements over towards the security team of we're going to do stuff a different way. Y'all figure out how to keep it safe. Yeah, we see that a lot. I mean, you know, I think that you would probably agree with me that the perimeter is gone. Uh, the perimeter that we used to know back in the the 90s and the 2000s uh, no longer exist because there's so much remote access. Uh, again, a, as you said, via mobile devices, whether it's a laptop, whether it's a phone, uh, if those are uh, misconfigured or anything like that, you, you're you opening yourself wide open. And so one of the things that uh, we tell clients is if this is something that you're planning on doing, don't, don't do it halfway. Uh, you've got to put the time in to make sure that when you're configuring all of this uh, equipment that it's configured properly, you're doing your security testing. That's that's one thing that we still see people missing out on is they'll implement a product uh, but not do the security testing on the backside to make sure that it's been implemented properly and that they're not opening themselves up to attack. Yeah. For, for businesses that are, are rolling out laptops and letting people connect in remotely on the laptops, um, same thing with the mobile phone access, how many of, like, are you seeing everyone does a mobile device management solution where the things can be remote wiped or like are most folks not rolling that stuff out? How is that mobile device management well, space looking? Well, where, where we're seeing things change, obviously, is with, with G Suite and with Office 365 now. Uh, where they're not necessarily having to use a uh, mobile device management system to give them access, uh, where we still see mobile device access uh, being uh, using an MDM solution. There we go with an acronym again that you're yeah. going to have to define. Sorry about that. It's all good. Um, where we still see them uh, using those types of solutions is when they need to give access to internal applications uh, that they don't want to open up to the internet. Uh, but, you know, it, somebody loses a phone now it's it's almost the same as losing a laptop because of the amount of information that's stored on the device now yeah 
Now, it's a, an interesting one. Uh, yeah, where I mean, we're seeing at the small business side of stuff, uh, very limited amount of mobile device management uh, rolled out uh, where um, if in the event that these devices are lost or stolen, that things could happen. Um, no mandatory um, encryption uh, enablement on the devices. Uh, the good news for if you're out there if you're, as a business owner, uh, if your employees all have iPhones, it's pretty much built into the iPhone at this point as long as they're updating that iPhone. On the Android devices, you can ask your employees to go in and turn on encryption and put on a passphrase on there so that if the device does end up in someone else's possession that's not your employee, that it can get taken care of. Um, and there's there's also ways uh, via both the, the Google and the Apple systems to remotely wipe those devices now um, tied into the, the platforms, even without necessarily buying a third-party solution. It's not as um, integrated and clean, uh, but you can manage that. And sim similar with the laptops, if you've got um, Mac laptops or Windows laptops, you can turn disk encryption on. It's in the operating system mm -hmm. these days. It's not even a third-party software. It's literally a checkbox, I think, on both of them to turn disk encryption on, and then it ties that, that computer to the user and the account. And without that login information... They can't decrypt the computer and they can't get access to the, the data. Well, and, you know, one of the things that we see where a lot of people uh, and, and we really uh, try to get this, this message across to our clients that are using uh, mobile devices in heavy fashion is when you're, uh, when you're done for the day, don't just put it to sleep because that does not enable the encryption on the device. Yeah. Uh, whether you've got BitLocker on a Windows system or FileVault on a Mac system, uh, it's not being engaged fully um, when uh, you're just putting the device to sleep. We see that all the time when people go to conferences. They're rushing around. They're trying to get stuff done, and they'll just put something to sleep. Next thing they know, the uh, the laptop is no longer in their possession, and the business has a problem. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a big one. Yeah, with us going to the security conferences, I don't even bring a laptop to some of them anymore because like, I can't actually even get on a Wi-Fi hotspot on my own phone because I'm worried that someone's got a, a pineapple or other device nearby that's just going to see the SSID that I broadcast, spoof it, put up a stronger antenna signal, and hijack my wi-fi exactly. session exactly yeah this is a, a fun talk i've been i've been given this year talking uh, out there about just how easy it is now to do some of these things for wi-fi section hijacking gps tracking uh and some of these these other exploits uh it's pretty shocking now or keyboard logging as well um i won't name on the air but like if you just go into your search bar on the internet and you just say that i like a keyboard logger and you search for that you'll see e-commerce shopping pop-ups from major publicly traded e-commerce retailers that sell for less than 50 bucks a keyboard logging device that just plugs into the usb port in the computer and it will capture everything on there so uh, from the physical security side of stuff we've uh, mentioned uh, tom's previous visit to the program and drop tests a couple of times as well but um, it's very easy for someone to install a keyboard logger these days. You don't need any sophisticated cyber skills. Like you literally need the skills to buy something online, which we're all pretty good at these days. And you need the skills to plug something into a USB port. And then mm -hmm. after that, it'll capture every keystroke on the computer and put it in a text file, which everyone's pretty good at opening and reading text files these days. Yeah, I, I had a client that uh, told me, oh, no, I, I, I don't take my laptop. I just use the uh, hotel's computer's. Oh. Uh, to check my email uh, and you know 
keystroke logging is one of the things that I brought up when I was talking to him and saying, you know, you don't know what's plugged into the back of that system. Yeah. Uh, somebody plugs it in in the morning, comes back in the afternoon, pulls it off. Uh, they've captured all of that information that, that people have been typing in throughout the day. Yeah, it's a wonderful way to harvest uh, people's uh, airline logins, their banking logins, exactly. their, all sorts of uh, accounts that, uh, yeah, because what are, what are people doing on those those hotel computers pretty much? They're checking their work email, they're checking their banking information, they're checking their travel stuff. And so, yeah, if, if, you, if you're a person with uh, no ethics or low ethics, uh, that's a, a pretty great place to go put a keyboard logger. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Tom and I not using hotel computers anytime soon. No. No. Uh, yeah, and then, like, the, the GPS tracking devices as well. So you, you wonder, well, why would someone care about uh, GPS tracking me or something else? Well, um, from a, a cyber uh, attack perspective, uh, if I know where you're at and where you're not at uh, or where – uh, then if I was going to do one of those whaling style attacks again, if I know that Tom's not in his office right now as we're recording this broadcast, uh, so it, if I was going to send an attack in, it might be nice to uh, send the email when Tom's not in the office sitting next to the person that I'm trying to uh, compromise with a whaling attack. Exactly. So it is, is all of these areas. And GPS tracking these days as well, just um, go ahead and, and go to your search bar again and put in a tiny gps tracker and and there's devices out there now that are um the less than the size of a penny that have an 8 to 12 hour battery in them and there's devices that are the um, size of a cell phone that have uh months worth of battery um so these low voltage gps tracking so that could get dropped on a car in a parking lot or whatever else and uh for you could out of that and they're not expensive so it's not like the attackers leaving um, a big piece of uh, expense on on your your device or in your backpack or um, same thing when you're leaving your luggage unattended at a a or not even just paying super detailed attention at a, an airport or other place uh, those things can happen to you uh thank you uh tom very much for uh joining us on the program here uh this week um uh, if for uh, folks out there uh going you know what uh, we want to get an active sweep of our network uh where can they reach out to digital defense uh they can reach out at www.digitaldefense.com yeah it's uh, pretty simple uh direct and straightforward and then uh, you can talk to, to tom and his team and they can uh, help check your business network out to see if uh you have any visitors that you did not invite into the office uh, digitally that way 